Welcome to Meals for Maturity, Bible talks to help you mature as a follower of Jesus, by Pastor Dom Fiocco. Sometimes there comes along various tragedies in life where you actually never forget them, you know, events, happenings that are just etched in your mind, never to be forgotten. Uh, maybe you remember where you were when you first saw the horrific events of September 11 or learnt about the Boxing Day tsunami. Uh, for us, we also include the Canberra bushfires of 2003. Some people never forget certain events. Um, I, some people never forget where they were when they heard about the tragic death of Princess Diana. I can still remember the moment at school when I heard about John Lennon had been shot. That tells you how old I am. I don't think many of us will forget these recent times, living through COVID-19 that quickly became COVID-20 and 21 and 22. Sometimes, you see, there are, there are events which come along which we never forget. They're moulded into our memories. Well, the prophet Joel has an event he never forgot, a devastating, unforgettable, cataclysmic locust plague. For the next instalment of Meals for Maturity, I want us to dig deep into the prophet in the Old Testament, the prophet Joel. Unfortunately, he's called a minor prophet, but there's nothing minor about this guy or the other books in this section of our Bibles. They're called minor because they're just smaller than the big guns of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. I think better to call them little guys who pack a, a big punch but that doesn't fit neatly in the table of contents, does it? How about smaller prophets that are really hard to find in our Bibles? Well, Joel is one of them. Jonah is perhaps the most famous of smaller prophets, and maybe Malachi is the most preached on. At least that's been my experience. I never get to preach on the last book of the Old Testament because others at my church have beaten me to it. I've got a book on my shelf at home titled 12 Books to Change Your Life, Teaching the Minor Prophets. And the prophet Joel makes up one of those 12 right at the end of our Old Testaments. And Joel is part of Holy Scripture, uh, given to help us mature in our walk with Jesus. It's, uh, Joel is part of God's Word to help us teach us and challenge us and correct our lives. It's part of God's Word in, a, in the Bible to encourage us to go on seeking first God's kingdom and Jesus' righteousness. Well, there's lots we don't know about the book of Joel. Lots of don't knows. We don't know anything about Joel's call or his commission from God to be a prophet, unlike uh, Amos or Jonah, perhaps, where we find out they, they learn about that. Uh, we don't know where he comes from, when he lived. We don't know if he liked his job. He's, he's a real nowhere man. We don't know the date of his prophecy. Some people think after the exile, so Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, that sort of era. Uh, there's no reference to any kings. So people say, well, that's after the exile. But then some scholars come along and say, well, no, no, it's pre-exilic. So around the time of Elijah and King Ahab in 1 Kings 17 and 18. Who knows? Uh, which is good, of course, for Bible college lecturers to set students' essays to write about the dating of the prophet of Joel. What little we do know is that his dad must come from God-fearing stock because Joel's name means Yahweh is God. His message, we know that his message comes from God and it fills the average Israelite with great fear. And we do know that he witnesses this unforgettable event that affects his life forever and his readers for generations to come. So let's hear Nerida read to us Joel chapter 1. Joel, 
chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn, the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed, the grounds mourns, because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up, the oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine dries up, the fig tree languishes. Pomegranate, palm and apple, all the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of man. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Is not the food cut off before our eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed shrivels under the clods. The storehouses are desolate. The granaries are torn down because the grain has dried up. How the beasts groan. The herds of cattle are perplexed because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you because the water brooks are dried up and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Joel witnesses an unforgettable event that impacts his life forever, moulded into his memory. It's an event he never forgets, this devastating locust plague. We use the word unprecedented a lot, don't we, when we talk about our COVID plague. Well, here in Joel's time is an unprecedented locust plague. This one is unique across their history. Joel's message, verse 1, the word of the Lord is for everyone to sit up and take notice. There's a double command stressing its importance in verse 2. Hear, he says, and then listen or give ear to. It's a little bit like the Lord Jesus who comes along and says, for him or her who has ears to hear, let them hear. So sit up and take notice. God is speaking here. 
It's a message from God that needs to be heard and acted upon whoever's listening. So the elders in verse 2, the children, verse 3, the drunks in verse 5, perhaps those focused on entertainment or enjoying life. Verse 11, the tillers of the soil, the farmers. Verse 13, the priests and ministers in the temple. And then back to verse 2, all the inhabitants of the land. Verse 3, it's a word from Yahweh that needs to be passed on to generation after generation. Tell your children of it and then let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. So after getting everyone's attention in verses 2 and 3, Joel turns to this unforgettable, horrific event that comes upon his land and people. Now maybe you've driven your car through a locust plague out west in a country somewhere. Well, unless you've driven your car in the middle of Africa or South America or the Middle East, let's not kid ourselves that we know what a locust plague is really like. This is not just a few toasty little grasshoppers on the front grill of your car. Though I don't know where locusts and bugs will land on electric cars now without the front grill. I think it spoils all the fun for the insects trying to play chicken with cars, doesn't it? Well, verse 4 here speaks of this plague of locusts. That's horrific, devastating, overwhelming. This is mind-blowing stuff where nothing is left after the locusts have gone through. We're told of the cutting locusts, the swarming locusts, the hopping locusts, the destroying locusts. Perhaps the picture of four locusts here is meant to remind us of an apocalyptic scene where four in apocalyptic genre is symbolic of all corners of the globe. I didn't realise, and I imagine you didn't either, that in the Hebrew language, there are nine different words that you can use to talk about locusts. Now, I know we have lots of brands of beer, for example, but one word pretty much captures them all, doesn't it? Beer. We have lots of words in English to talk about football, even games that don't really use your foot. They take the word football and they still use it. Apparently, we have 181 different words to describe the word common. That's how everyday, prevalent, typical, universal, common that word is. Well, for the Israelites, that's, what's it, that's what it's like for locusts. They were obsessed by these little flying, jumping creatures because they could do devastating damage upon the land and upon their livelihoods. So they find nine different words to talk about locusts. And Joel picks up on four of them here. And if you know your Bibles, you'd know that locusts, these tiny grasshoppers on mass, they're a common visual aid used by God to announce judgment in some way or form. So think back to Deuteronomy 28. It's one of the covenant curses for disobeying God. In Exodus 10, it's one of the plagues that plagues Pharaoh in Egypt. And the prophets Jeremiah and Amos pick up on uh, locust plagues as well. And in the book of Revelation is a further reference. So loads of locusts are symbolic of God's judgment. And now here in Joel chapter 1 and then into chapter 2, in vivid, striking poetry, Joel describes this devastating locust plague. He talks about their appearance like a lion in verse 6, fangs like a lioness. In chapter 2, it's they're like war horses. And then he speaks of their number like a nation, verse 6, like an invading army. In 1986, there was a report coming out of Senegal, and this was sort of perfect for a David Attenborough Planet Earth episode, if you can imagine, where we learned that one female grasshopper that lays eggs in June, by October of that year, they could have 18 million living descendants. Now, that's a pretty scary sight 
if you're a farmer and dependent upon your crops for living. There's no can of fly spray that can deal with these sorts of numbers. And then Joel describes their sound across chapter 2, like a rumbling of chariots, a crackling of fire, and like an earthquake. There's a plague of locusts that was reported in Sudan a few decades back, and it was described as the locusts sounded like a jet engine taking off, their whirring wings and their crunching jaws letting out this horrific sound. But Joel's not finished yet, and he describes what this plague of locusts actually does. Verses 10 to 12, vegetation, the land is destroyed. Again, this is, remember, right at the heart of this agricultural people. The pomegranate, the palm, the apple tree, the fig tree, they're all eaten by this invading army of locusts. Verse 10, the ground mourns. Verse 18 and verse 20, livestock is impacted. The beasts groan for food and water. The sheep lose their bar. We're reminded here of drought that impacts our land and farmers here in Australia when cattle and sheep and pigs and chickens, for example, they're impacted by fire or floods or drought or pestilence. We feel it directly on the shelves, don't we, of Coles and Woolies and Aldi and Costco. See, I don't show favouritism when I preach, though I think Coles seems to have the better specials, but anyway. Then in verse 16 and 17, people are deeply affected. Grain and wheat supplies dwindle. Uh, the vine is stripped bare. What the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Back in 1960 in California, their farmers uh, experienced a devastating locust plague. And at the time, the agricultural officer who, who did the rounds of the, of the farmers to examine the damage simply said, what the locusts didn't eat, they cut off for entertainment. It sort of reminds me of what cockatoos used to do to my apple tree just for fun. They sort of decimated all the apples that were growing on it. Well, verses 8 to 9 and verse 13, even their grain and their drink offerings to God dry up. It's a tragic and solemn day when no offerings can be brought to the temple, to God's ministers. Some of you might remember years ago, the, the GFC, the global financial crisis, where Christians lost their homes and their job and their investments. And eventually some churches, especially in the US, they had a significant drop in giving to support their pastor. So eventually, of course, the pastor would have to leave the church. And so your spiritual food goes as well. Well, that's what's happening here in Joel's day. No offerings can be brought to the temple. So no support. For the priests. No person, animal, plant, livelihood escapes this devastation, this horror, this epic invasion, this army of locusts. And of course, with such a plague comes the further impact upon the land, isn't it? Like drought and fire. And in verses 17 to 19 that Nerida read, it's like an uncreation, like a, like a reversal of the Garden of Eden is happening. The blessings of God are removed. And now we're left with pretty much the covenant curses of Deuteronomy 28. Steven Spielberg, I think, would make a really good movie, The Day of the Locusts here. The scene we have here in Joel chapter 1 is so hard for us to imagine, this horror across ancient Israel. Verse 16, gladness is no more. So joy is no longer a word in their dictionary, but they can find nine words for locusts. Here's an event, here's a tragedy 
never to be forgotten. So overwhelming, it's just moulded into their memories. In Joel chapter 1, this is a natural occurrence. So insects, remember, were created by, they, they're created by God. They're part of the natural order. But it's also an act of God. Not that every natural disaster fits this description of an act of God. I know insurance companies like to use that phrase, usually to avoid payouts. But we should be slow to use it. Unless, of course, we have a word from God telling us that. Unless we have a prophet preaching an explanation for us. So please don't go around saying silly things like, oh, well, the Indonesians are Muslim, therefore God sends earthquakes and tsunamis upon them. Or don't say stupid things like the US needed a wake-up call from God on September 11. Or COVID wipes out that family because they must be worse sinners than others in their street. Friends, that is foolish and dangerous and ignorant and unbiblical to speak like that. As if you can interpret disasters and tragedies and sufferings today knowing the mind of God. What we can say is that all these natural disasters, including terrible locust plagues that we hear about uh, today, they, what we can say is that they all fall under the effects, the impact of living in a fallen sin-plagued world. It's all part of the groaning of creation, awaiting final redemption and renewal. What we can say about Joel chapter 1 is that God uses this natural disaster. He uses it to speak to his people, to get through their casual defences, to give them a wake-up call, perhaps to remind them of his sovereignty over all the earth, including insects. And in the case of our COVID years, he is sovereign over microscopic germs. We can say that this is a wake-up call for ancient Israel because we have Joel chapters 2 and 3, which gives us the interpretation of this unforgettable locust plague. But we'll get to that in future talks. Whatever the natural causes of these loads of locusts, Joel sees it as part of the judgment of God coming upon his people. He sees it side by side with the day of the Lord. Verse 15 in chapter 1 is the first of many references to the day of the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. For as the locusts fly in, Joel is giving us a, a parallel picture of judgment day still to come. Now because there's no specific date or time frame to Joel's message here, because we just don't know exactly when this happened, it's like his prophecy stands for all time. It's like God has preserved Joel in our Bibles and we can now have universal application to any of God's people in any age. It's like God is saying to us, you know, you can pick up the little book of Joel and you can read it and you can learn from it many centuries later. And you don't even have to have tiny locusts flying around trying to crash through your fly screens and destroy your veggie garden to apply this little prophecy to your life. You see, it's a, it's a Bible book that works for all seasons and for all of God's people. And we don't need to have an identical locust plague to apply its lessons. For our locust plague might look rather different. Our devastation might look radically different. Our troubles might not come in the form of winged creatures whirring away on this seek and destroy mission. Think about it. Our troubles might simply be work-related or financial struggles or relationships that break down. 
Our troubles might be anxiety about our health or, or the lack of you know, direction for our future. Our troubles might be the fear of the unknown, worries about your kids or grandkids or, or just battling addictions. Any number of troubles trouble God's people daily. So let me ask, how can this ancient prophecy about killer locusts help you and me in our Christian journey? How can a locust plague help us with the problems that plague us? Well, there's a simple line in verse 19a of Joel chapter 1 that might just help us. Verse 19a, to you, O Lord, I call. The New Living Translation puts it in just three words, Lord, help us. And here we find the prophet pleading for mercy and relief. And he turns to his Lord, he turns to the maker of locusts, he turns to the maker of you and me. And maybe, just maybe, here's the clue for us yet again. To you, O Lord, I call. I'm reminded of Peter in the, in the Gospels when he turns to Jesus. After Jesus has asked his disciples, remember, if they plan to walk away like others in the crowd have at this particular time, and Peter replies, Lord, where else have we to go when you alone have the words of eternal life? Peter could well have turned to Joel chapter 1, verse 19. Where else have we to go? To you, O Lord, we call. To you, O Lord, we turn again and again. You see, maturing, growing as a Christian means, keep making it a daily habit. Whatever your troubles, whatever locust-like plague enters your life, keep making it a daily routine. To you, O Lord, I call. Call upon the Lord Jesus, who has, of course, experienced a plague of troubles himself, our troubles of sin that he has borne. And remember, he has walked out of the empty tomb. So whatever your circumstances right now, right at this moment, whether Joel-like or not, will you call out to the Lord? Will you cry out for more mercy and grace? For he will surely hear and answer you. Until next time, may you know the peace of Christ. Thanks for listening to Meals for Maturity. Keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ.